Well, the the loon, our state bird, you just heard about that. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Uh, and I am a, a loon in many ways. So, <laughs> hey, I want to I want to say just um, in mentioning this, I had a nice uh, visit with Casey Lloyd last night. What a good guy. He's been broadcasting games for 53 years. 53 years. Wow. Man, that is just, uh, it's amazing, and he still does a a great job, and uh, he's just uh, a a fine fellow well met, as they would say. Uh, He's um, just, I try to visit with him a little bit whenever I see him, and it's just uh, a lot of fun. Now, have you been broadcasting Uh, for for more than 50 years as well, or or has he got got a couple of years on you? (laughs) He's got uh, a few years on me, so he's uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, oh, I get to see him quite a bit because he does uh, the uh, Maverick uh, basketball games. Now, so your your one. granddaughter is still one of the stars of the basketball team, correct? Yeah, they won a hundred and ten to forty two last night, oh, uh, so goodness. it was uh, wasn't real close, and they got off to a slow start because they hadn't played all year and. She had uh, 18 points, had five assists, four steals, four rebounds, had a little bit of everything. So she's That's a proud grandpa. And by the way, if anybody's listening, it's Joey Bat that is the Minnesota yep. State University Varsity women's basketball star here that Al Bat's granddaughter. And is she tall like yeah, you, Al? No, she's 5'6", uh, probably. She's oh. a point guard. Okay. Yeah, so she's... Uh, little and uh, I get asked now by people if I'm related to Joey Bat so uh-huh. that, that's pretty cool hey uh, Leon Schoenrock from New Richland got a hold of me and he you probably know, he said my Norway maples are dropping leaves that are completely green there's no red yellow or orange seems strange and I'm sure it's a weather related reason any thoughts and mine are if the green leaves have black spots on them it's tar spot and that's a Fungal disease is cosmetic. Trees should be okay, but as far as I know, that's real common on Norway maples. And it uh, it's always, uh, we, we always think, oh, my goodness. But, you know, my uh, lilacs drop a lot of, they're not a native here, so they drop a lot of their leaves are really green when they, they drop them. And if you have a ginkgo tree, boy, they just drop them all at once, and they're pretty much green. So we do have some trees that will drop green leaves. Do you know what else does is the the weeping, we have a weeping mulberry, and all of a sudden, you know, it's just so full. And then one the next day, there's just a gigantic pile of green leaves underneath. It's just incredible how it does that. It's almost like somebody flips the switch and boom, they're down. And I love weeping trees and yeah. those with uh, crooked branches. They just—they uh, have all different kinds of names to describe those crooked ones, but they're just so beautiful. And they provide a lot of uh, winter beauty. Yes. When we can look out and see that in the structure. And they also oh, provide a lot of, of uh, habitat because I'll notice that's a lot of times with those weeping ones, there's a lot of nooks and crannies in there to hide. So I'll see so many birds during the winter. That's where they go during bad storms and things is they'll go and hide in there. 
Yeah, and today I have uh, a branch of one of those kind of trees that has been hosting rusty blackbirds. I have a bunch Mm. of them here in my yard, and they're beautiful blackbirds. So if you kind of imagine a red-winged blackbird that has become a little rusty, has some brown on it, and they're really, really pretty. They nest in some of the big, like, spruce swamps and things, and their numbers have been declining but it's hard for people. They're hard to study because of where they nest. Um, Gretchen, t- oh, and I also have some fox sparrows. I had some, and then they were kind of gone, and now I have them back. I had some bluebirds here as well, so uh, nice seeing those. And I always say the bluebirds are back. Well, they're not. I had bluebirds here in the summer. They left, and then these came from who knows where el- where they came from. But I'll still continue to say, well, the bluebirds are back. Well, now I'm seeing uh, blue jays again coming in the yard, so I'm not sure if they're sticking around or they're just hanging out in the neighborhood because they were in our yard one day and he was on the pond and had a light layer of ice so i don't know if he's trying to break the 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 ice to get water or what he was trying to do do they do that perhaps i imagine if it's pretty thin if there's a kind of a thin film they'd be able to hack through it and get some water they're pretty smart birds they're cousins of the crows and the ravens so they're pretty sharp and right now they uh, you know they don't have any um it, if it's not their home, they're just they can go wherever they want. And again, these might be birds from Canada hmm. come down here and just saying checking out to see where the best places to go. And they are uh, they're, again, they're brilliant birds, both in color and mind. So they're just looking for some place that they can call home for the winter. <clears throat> and it's I don't know how much snow we got, but. Uh, I drove to Mankato yesterday, and there was a lot of snow, and I mm-hmm. think there's more snow this morning now than we had yesterday. So There is, and you know what? It, it was so slippery yesterday. I was driving on my with my Honda that had the bald tires, and, man, I was all over the road. But today my husband brought that in because we had an appointment for today to get new tires, and I drove his vehicle that has good tires, and I wasn't slipping at all. So, man, you could really t- you uh. can really tell. Oh, my goodness. I was going to say bald tires. What are you, a teenager driving around with your bald tires out there? Well, That's you what know, I heard from one of my aunts, I found this out. I didn't realize because my my vehicle's only got nineteen thousand miles on it. So I would think, well, why would they be bald already? But apparently, the the uh, car folks say that they put the cheapest tires they can on these new vehicles, and then you have to get new ones. Yeah. Um, within fifteen to twenty thousand miles. So I guess that's where I was. I had uh, I had a mess of aunts. They were all wonderful in different ways. One who knew nothing about cars <laughs> whatsoever was fond of inspecting my tires whenever I'd show up, and she'd say, "You know, there's no tread on those tires at all. What's wrong with you?" And I said, "Well, you know, I just they cost money, and I don't." I, I said that in the hopes that she'd say, "Well, here, here's a hundred dollars," but uh, that never happened. <laughs> so, but. She continued to check my tires, I think, until she shuffled off this mortal coil. It was one of the ways that she felt she was doing good, and she was. Uh, John Beale said, hello, Al. It was a sad day here north of Medford yesterday, and he sent me a picture of a flicker. He said, the flicker you see in these pictures crashed into one of our windows and did not survive. It is so amazing, the different colors on this magnificent bird. 
Uh, you know, you, we were talking about the black birds that you were seeing on mm-hmm. the water, yeah. and I got a note from Rita Garanson, and uh, she was down uh, looking at around Clear Lake, and she said, on Dead Man's Curve just east of the Baptist camp, there was a black scoter and oh. a white wing scoter. Now, that was the one we were talking about. Yeah. That was I said, well, that'd be unlikely to see it here. And they also saw a red-throated loon. She was birding with a couple of other people. And then while looking at the loon, saw a surf scoter. So she said that was by the city beach at Clear Lake. She said there's millions of ducks in the middle of the lake, but a trifecta of scooters. In Minnesota this year, I checked uh, with the MOU, and the numbers have been higher than the normal distribution. So typically we'd see them up, uh, what would be the counties there, Cook Lake and St. Louis probably, but they've seen them in Benton, Hennepin, and Washington this fall. Well, you know, as I looked at pictures and things, it did kind of look like the Scoter, and you said it wasn't probably possible, but maybe they were Scoters then. Yeah, and it still, you know, isn't one of the most likely ones, mm-hmm. but uh, it's apparent what people are reporting now that they are seeing them here and there. And why? Who knows? Climate they're, change. They're beautiful birds. Yeah, they're just, I love seeing them. Uh, Clayton Will said, uh, Al, there's an excellent article in the November Reader's Digest on Tiffany Kirsten's ABA Big Year Record for the Lower 48 States of 726 birds in 2020, which is more more than the all-time one-year record. The article was written by Will McCarthy, and it left me feeling that we as men need to step up our game in kindness, that we do not give a threatening feeling to women while they are out birding. Will writes on the sexual assault, so this is... Uh, so I have not read the article. And the long after resulting fear Tiffany felt just at seeing two men in a parking lot. We don't know what anyone else has been through, so all we can do is show kindness and reassurance to all birders, regardless of race, gender, or age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Clayton. I will read that article. Um, Mary Gugesberg. I see Mary at the uh, local supermarket. She yells at me. Um, I think she yells, uh, clean up in aisle eight is here when I come into the store. Uh, She said there are swans on Freeborn Lake, and I think she said there were 11. So there's more more than likely they are trumpeter swans. But this time of year we do have tundra swans that are passing through, usually in large flocks. And Lewis and Clark provided the first written description of the tundra swan during their expedition to the West, Lewis and Clark. That was Jerry Lewis and Dick Clark, for some of you that are not <laughs> up with your history. And the birds, the swans, kind of whistle-like calls prompted Meriwether Lewis to dub them whistling swans. And uh, eastern tundra swans, that population, which is the one here, they, migra- or they, <clears throat> they nest way up in the Arctic. 
and then they migrate across the continent to winter on the Atlantic coast, Chesapeake Bay in North Carolina. There's a western population of tundra swans that migrates to the wintering grounds from oh, southern British Columbia to central California. So we should see them. You get over around the Mississippi River, uh, you'll see a lot of them over there, tundra swans. Jack May of Mankato wrote, When I was a kid, we would plow our land with a moldboard plow. Gull-like birds would flock behind the plow. You could distinctly see them pluck earthworms from the ground. It never seems as dramatic these days, but this is a little reminiscent of those days. Any thoughts? Uh, Jack, boy, in my youth, the small black-headed gull of the prairies, the Franklin's gull, was a common sight behind farm implements. Uh, these implements were exposing earthworms, grubs, insects, mice, and I called them prairie doves because they had kind of a dove-like look. And another common gull that feeds behind the plow is a ring-billed gull. It isn't black-headed. It's larger than the Franklin's, and it has a ring around its yellow bill. Franklin's nest primarily in Minnesota. Uh, they nest places north or North Dakota and Canada, but it, in Minnesota it nests primarily Agassiz National Wildlife Refuge, and boy, what is it, Marshall County, I think is where county that's in, and estimates show a drop in nesting populations due to unfavorable water levels. Hmm. The ringbill gull population, on the other hand, has increased in Minnesota thanks to an omnivorous diet and an adaptability to human-modified landscapes, and that includes feeding at landfills and parking lots. So I see more ringbills shadowing the implements of husbandry today in my neck of the woods, but they don't appear to be the tractor aficionados that the Franklin's gull was. Well, now, back in when my dad was farming, we always used to get from a local plant the, the uh, it was like tapioca pudding or something, and I don't know if it was like burned or something, something with it. So when he would spread, they would spread that tapioca pudding stuff, there would be thousands of those gulls that would flock behind oh. and on the fields. It was just like white with them, and so I assume it was the tapioca they were after, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. They are omnivores, uh, extraordinaire, so that I'm, I have no... Did it smell like tapioca? Well, it was like the, was the pudding, it was like a, a, a place that made, like, dairy stuff and pudding stuff, and so they're, yeah, I, I don't know, but it was it was odd. It was just like they, they would just come and, in droves of these birds, just thousands of them would follow along after they would spread this on the field. I might have been following the tractor. Man, I love tapioca <laughs> pudding. <laughs> I tell everybody, when we were kids, we had three puddings each week. We had lemon pudding, tapioca pudding, and rice pudding, Ooh. which we called Swedish rice. Mm-hmm. But the, every week, we were big pudding folks. So one day each week, we'd have those puddings. And Oh, I love tapioca. I think that's my favorite. Uh, I, the one thing about farming, too, it has changed so much. From when I was a kid, the lights on a tractor or a combine, they illuminate so much better. They were terrible when I was a kid. So you you would work late, mm-hmm. like this time of year, if you didn't have your corn in. My mother would be threatening us to get that all done by Thanksgiving. So we would work probably later than we should have out there with bad lighting. 
Now, boy, if you you folks have all driven around, you've seen them out in the field. They light up the world. So I think there's more harvesting done now, and the reason that would make a difference with the gulls is when you do harvesting at night, that's during the hours when the gulls aren't working. Oh, so you sure. probably see less of them become a, because of that. And I haven't seen any studies or anything. It's just... This is what I think. You know, my dad would always say, if you looked in the field, you could tell, like, when he was working at night, if he fell asleep, you, <laughs> the rows were crooked. <laughs> oh, and, you know, that's a thing, too. It, you get out there and you think, boy, you know, I'm going to stay awake. And it, you have that kind of that dull hum of the yeah. equipment. And there's just a little vibration. And, oh, you got a lot of clothes on, so you're warm. And you get those head nods. Yep. But it would always happen. I know when I was out there where I just had a few rows to go. So you're not you say, "Boy, I don't I don't want to come back out here." And so I'm going to finish it. And, oh, you know. And then of course you get home and you're wide awake. Uh, Micah wrote, and thank you, Micah. It's always great to hear from you. He said, "Is it true a woodpecker's tongue wraps around its brain?" A bird's tongue is called a hyoid apparatus and it's the woodpeckers, if you've seen their tongue, it ex- they extend their tongue to reach insects deep inside these holes that they've drilled in a, a tree. And a woodpecker's tongue is long, and the bird needs a place to put it. So this hyoid apparatus of a woodpecker, it travels below the jaw, wraps around the back of the head, and runs towards the nostrils. Some scientists think that this apparatus acts like a seat belt and provides extra cushioning of the head during pecking. Some other scientists have said, well, it really, it may be a little bit, it really doesn't help that much. So, but yeah, to answer your question, Micah, they sure do wrap their tongue around its brain. Weird. And uh, speaking as a man, we, pre- we should do that once in a while, too, I think. Uh, Lisa Klosterman. Great to hear from you, Lisa. She said, I listened to you on KMSU, and I have a question. Are fox afraid of possums? My trail cam captured a sequence of pictures of the two under my apple tree, but they just ignored each other. I would have thought the fox would hunt the possum. A few years ago, the cam caught a fox bowing down to a skunk as it passed, which is understandable, but ignoring a possum? Thanks for the great weekly shows. Well, they're great weekly shows, Lisa, because you're listening. Uh, Foxes, they will eat possums, but they won't usually bother preying on an adult because they're, uh, possums seem, if you've been up by a possum, they seem really feisty. They hiss and they show a million teeth and they make kind of odd sounds. So if you're a fox and you're looking at a possum and say, you know what, prey is pretty abundant, there's easier targets around, I'm going to hunt them successfully, I don't want to get injured in the process of hunting, this animal looks like it might be able to hurt me. And if you're a younger fox, that's probably even more hesitant, because it's going to say, boy, this, this animal, we're, it's, it's almost in my weight class, I don't think I want to mess with it. However, if a fox comes upon a possum that is already dead and not playing dead, it would waste no time in taking advantage of the free meal. So predators include uh, possum predators, owls, hawks, foxes, 
coyotes, bobcats, dogs, humans. Uh, if the fox is not having much luck hunting, they, they'd be more likely, if they're really hungry, they'd be more likely to attack a possum. And I don't know, I know Granny Moses on the Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> had possum and grits, so they yes. got to be good eating. And you all know possums protect themselves from predators by playing dead. And there's a lot of predators will not eat an animal that is already dead. I don't know how that works on a fox if they'd say, well, hot dog. Uh, but it works on dogs. I've had dogs, and they say, oh, this animal just died. I don't know. I don't want anything to do with it. And they go off and look for something else. It's This playing dead is actually an involuntary reaction due to shock. The possum just falls onto the ground, lies motionless on its side. Its eyes are open, its mouth open, and its tongue is hanging out. It's just, it, they look like they're goners and should be in a coffin. They awaken when danger passes. You know, and is that like the fainting goats? Because they do that too when they're frightened. They fall over they and they kind of like tip and act they're dead. And there's some, some snake, uh, is it the hog nose? Or I can't remember. There's one of those that like just looks, flips over like they're dead as well. So it must be a, just a, a mechanism that some animals have to avoid their prey. And I've seen snakes do that. And I have also, I was out in Wisconsin the first time I ever saw fainting goats. <laughs> and the guy took me out to his farm, and he went out there, and he walked up by a goat and clapped his hands oh. and yelled. And the goat went up like it had been shot <laughs> and just flopped over. And I thought, you've killed your goat by yelling at it. <laughs> and and I'm, I don't know, it was it was a few minutes, and then I got up and kind of staggered around <laughs> for a while and then went back to eating. So he said, oh, it doesn't hurt them, but I'm thinking, man, that has to take a lot out of a, <laughs> right. a goat. Or, it's just, I don't know. It's Yeah, you wonder, they are apparently somewhere along the line, they discovered that by feigning their death, they not only get life insurance proceeds, <laughs> but they also can... Uh, can live another day. The uh, possums, again, will try to bluff predators into thinking that they are aggressive by hissing and baring those teeth when they feel threatened. And most possums that are killed by cars are killed because they have poor hearing mm. and they have poor eyesight. So it's a animal that should never be allowed on a road. They're just not good there, sadly. Uh, Brian Smith saw at the Sleepy Eye water treatment plant, he saw a wastewater treatment plant, uh, an American pipit, and that's in Brown County. And we do see American pipits around, but it's kind of getting late in the year that they shouldn't be here. And another one, Brad Abendroth, Wasika County, saw a black scoter, which is rare here. And Bob Williams in Lesseur County saw Ross's goose. So really neat uh, birds that are being seen in this uh, wintry weather. So there are some good things. Uh, a listener text says, uh, when I was a kid, I heard bucks don't eat during rut. Is that true? We were coming home last night, and there's two deer came out, and I saw them, and they just came up to the side of the road and just stood there. And of course, I slowed down, and I snuck past them. And they didn't try to cross the road. So we see that, and we think, boy, these deer, some of them 
kind of no cars apparently, and they wait by the side of the road till we go by. Isn't that cool? But, you know, during the rut, I wouldn't count on that because the bucks are chasing the does around and the bucks are fussing with another. So, again, what bucks don't eat during the rut, is that true? Are they too obsessed with breeding to eat? Uh, bucks do lose weight during the rut, but it's from burning calories. They just got to run here and run there. And Bucks, they eat just not as much because of this hectic schedule. So a deer's diet consists of a variety of crops, grasses, vegetation, acorns, other nuts, and the brows of deer on twigs can look similar to the brows made by rabbits. And so if you have a deer that's eating in your yard, they have incisors only on their lower jaw, and this requires them to tear or rip off their food, their vegetative food. And rabbits make these sharp, clean cuts at an angle as they have incisors on both upper and lower jaws. And it's, uh, we get rabbits in, uh, it depends on how much damage does a rabbit do to stuff. It depends if the snow gets high enough, sometimes they can get in there and really do some damage to stuff eating. Uh, deer, of course, can reach up high, and uh, they like coming into the yard, and that long tongue that a woodpecker wishes it had a tongue that long comes out and just takes all the sunflower seeds out of a platform feeder, and I never have the heart to go yell at them all because it's usually <laughs> during nasty weather. Hey, um, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with us. You know, so there I was. It's November. During the day, it's kind of hazy. I'm in Alaska, and I was watching a brown bear catch salmon uh, in the Chilkoot Lake. And I watched from a safe distance as I showed the bear to a couple from New England. They'd never seen, uh, they called it a grizzly bear, and it's about the same. They'd never seen one before. And the woman, the couple, she was interested, but you could tell she was a little uneasy. And her husband tried to assure her, he said, honey, that bear is more afraid of you than you are of it. And she responded quickly, if that bear said that, it's lying. Remember, folks, Heartland as well, we're driving past. Uh, thanks for listening to us. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I uh, appreciate your company. You do a great job there on that radio station. And I hope you have your best day ever. We hope you do too, Al. Thanks so much. We'll chat with you next week. Bye-bye.